Welcome to the Open Adoption Project. We're the Nelsons. I'm Sean. And I'm Lynette. And we are excited to be back with more episodes for our celebration of National Adoption Month. Yeah, we hope that the things that we share this month, typically about three episodes a week, will help you in your observation of and recognition of National Adoption Month. Yeah, we're really grateful for the opportunity to be sharing different perspectives and opinions and always looking for that chance to learn. It's really one of our big themes here to listen and learn, especially listen and learn from adoptees, but also from birth parents. There's always something new that we can learn to help us do better going forward. Yeah, so this month we're putting out several episodes a week. You'll hear episodes conducted by us or by Alicia Gallagher, who's our director of communications. And again, we just hope to kind of flood the podcast sphere with adoption content for this month. Also, we're getting really close to 100 episodes, which is super exciting. So this is helping with that too. A little side perk. Perfect. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. And at the end, we'll chat just a little bit about our newsletter. If you are not subscribed to our newsletter, I'll ask you right now to go ahead and look it up if you're interested in getting more adoption-related content in your inbox. So go on over to openadoptionproject.org and click on newsletter to sign up. episodes ago we talked about orphan trains and one of the things as we talked about that and researched orphan trains so it really stood out to us that the policies and practices during that time era were really adoptive parent focused and of course this was a problem and this problem persisted over time and you can see it throughout the history of adoption especially in the United States that's what we've been looking at more but all over worldwide. You can see this in the history of adoption. And even today, we still have ramifications and policies. And policies and... Yeah, practices that are really problematic because they are focused on adoptive parents and not on individuals who are adopted or biological parents. They're focused on the wrong people, really. Yeah. And so, yeah, as we were researching the orphan trains, we were just like, wow, this. It's so fascinating to see some of these issues that are still issues today, really, like this kind of trickle down. And so we thought it would be really helpful to do an episode where we talk about how we can shift this focus and how we can be the change ultimately. Yeah. And even though this episode will be pretty brief, we hope that it will put into your minds um, different topics that you need to think through or perhaps even ways that you can act to change policy or procedure or culture in the area and maybe the family even that you're in. Absolutely. And another quick side note. So this is really an episode that's geared toward adoptive parents. I I mean, I think there's definitely ways that everybody in the adoption community can shift the focus and especially adoption professionals. This is really something that can be changed on that level, but we're directing this to adoptive parents because if adoptive parents are advocating for change and demanding better and seeking justice for adoptees, then adoption professionals are going to listen, right? Exactly, yeah. And so that's really the reason we have this focus in this episode in particular but of course, this is something that we can all work toward. But really, we feel like the ball is in the adoptive parents' court, too. 
really start shifting this focus. Yep. I think the onus is on us. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So as we prepared that episode, what did you see, Sean, that really stood out to you as an example of the focus being in the wrong place on these adoptive parents or these families that were bringing in children from the orphan trains? Yeah, so a few things stood out to me as I read The Orphan Train. One, and I think this still persists today, is that um, in this matching process, or when they were trying to place out, in the words of the book, children with families during the orphan train, they were trying to find kids that looked like they could fit into the family. Yeah, and you see that throughout adoption history. That happened during... Yeah, and 50s and I mean, still today, some families, yeah. I can see how there are ways that that might secondarily benefit the adoptee where they may not feel like an outcast because they can't, someone looking at them couldn't tell perhaps that they were adopted. But from from the text, it sounds like it was very much for the parents' sake so that others Yeah, so the initial, pol- yeah, the initial policy and practice was really focused on... The adoptive parents. Yeah. Yeah, another another example from the book um, was really kind of promoting this is almost like an, an indentured servitude yeah. where they were advertising like, hey, you can add a kid to your family to help your farm produce better. Or Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a fictional book, but this is the era on, that, yeah. well, no, the era of Anna Green Gables, this oh. different example, sorry. So this makes me think of the Anna Green Gables stories, right? Where she's brought into this home initially to be helping because Matthew's getting old. And so she's brought in to be a farmhand or to help her in the kitchen. And that's really what a lot of these adoption scenarios looked like during this time period where it really kind of dehumanized these children and they were being offered up as a commodity for adoptive parents, which is obviously very adoptive parent centered. For sure. Yes. Well, and um, another way was that, at least from the adoption train. um, The orphan train. Oh, yeah, sorry. It was called Orphan Train Writer by Andrea Warren. We talked about it a few episodes ago. Right. So from that text, it also talked about how the, the worker, the social worker in that situation, that's not what they were called, but, um, would come and check on the parents and say, hey, is this a good fit for you? And it wasn't really about the child. Um, it didn't sound like they it, ever yeah. checked with the children either to see how they were doing. And it was very abrupt in a lot of moves mm-hmm. and not really considering that what was best for the child, not but at all. really best for the adoptive parents. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were a lot of examples. Those are some really good ones. Thanks. It's really sad to see how that was practiced then, but also how some of those practices and policies have permeated into even policies and practices today. One thing that we've talked with a lot of adoptees about is birth certificates and information being provided to the adoptee. Um, Their own birth certificate um, has information redacted that in many states is never available to them about their own um, experience and if that's not focused on the wrong people i don't know yeah. what is right like yeah. if you don't have access to your own records well and there's a couple sides yeah. to that right like one is um biological parents maybe don't want that information mm-hmm. there and so it could be classified as a protection for the rights of the birth parents 
Which I can see that side, side. but at the same time, it's not the right focus. No. Um, And then the other side is that, and I don't know if you know this, if you've you've never adopted before, when an adoption is finalized, you are given um, a new birth certificate, and in all regards, it looks as though the adoptive parents were the parents at birth. And so it says the doctor's name, the baby's weight, name, all those things, and parents and like born to and it has, it the, adoptive has the adoptive names. parents names which doesn't really reflect the experience it's it's not an accurate account of history right like i feel like adoptive parents are legit and you can have a wonderful bond with your children of course. But, but you're not the birthing parent yeah. you're not a biological parent and for and like a what would you call it an official record to make like it sponge. seem otherwise and yeah. yeah to be kind of sketch on that i think that's really strange that that's how it works yeah yeah so i think that's one way um, and there's i think there's solutions to that and yeah. we could talk about those in future episodes but i think that's definitely uh definitely one way that we're not adoptee focused today yeah and throughout history too so if you look at what is sometimes called the baby scoop era There's a really, really good book. I highly recommend this for all of our listeners, but especially for prospective adoptive parents. I think this is a really important read. It's called The Girls Who Went Away, and then there's a colon, The Hidden History of Women Who Surrendered Children for Adoption in the Decades Before Roe v. Wade. It's written by a woman named Ann Fessler, and she is an adoptee who was born during this baby scoop era. So during like the 50s and the 60s. I don't know exactly what year this author was born, but it's about women in this time period who became birth mothers, right? Who placed children for adoption. And so she interviews more than 100 women and they share their stories and a lot of them share in really great detail. And you just hear these heart-wrenching accounts where you can see that the policies and practices during this era, during the baby scoop era, did not take birth parents or adoptees into account. These policies and practices were still focused on adoptive parents during this era as well. So a couple of examples that I remember from the book that really stood out to me, but I do recommend it. Please read this book. Uh, So there was one mother, one first mother who was interviewed and she said, there's still that voice in me that says who would be interested. No one cared then. Why would they care now? I was abandoned when it was right in everybody's face, so I still believe that no one cares. Dang. Isn't that heartbreaking? So sad. Yeah. She just felt completely alone and abandoned, and that stays with her because all of these women placed decades ago, long, long ago, and that's a pain that stayed with her for so long where she just feels like no one cares about this experience she had. There's another quote uh, from the book that says, shame is a very effective way to silence individuals and those who are less social and economically, economically powerful are rarely in a position to influence the decisions that affect them. That was one of my favorite thoughts from the book because it's so relevant today still. So shame is a, a tool is what it's basically saying, right? To silence people. And I don't think yeah. anyone thinks about that directly when maybe we're practicing behaviors that might come across as shaming someone. 
But yeah, it's true, right? Like when you feel shame, you also feel like you have to be silent. And what that stigma does to shutting down stories and how that affects people who are less privileged. Super interesting. It reminds me of an adoptee we talked to together. Yeah, so we we talked with an adoptee who was adopted from Kazakhstan. And she shared with us that her parents uh, were impoverished Mm -hmm. and that she was placed in an orphanage to care for her while her parents worked on increasing, you know, their livelihood so that they could care for her and and that's a common practice yeah it was countries and especially was but yeah it still is in some countries and in the fine print of the paperwork it said something like if you don't come back within x amount of time then your child will be adopted or maybe adopted or Or could be yeah um and they came back like three weeks later yeah yeah and she was gone it was heartbreaking yeah and so an example of a family that didn't have this standing, right, or this economic means to really take a stand. And so they were cut off from their child. Well, and thinking of the what's best for the child, right? Yes, there were there was it was hard for the, her parents at the time to care for her needs. And so they, doing what's best for the child, put her in a situation that would be better for her. That they could care for her, watch watch her while they fix things, but made things better, improve their situation. And then they go back to bring her back and care for her, love for her, continue to raise her. She was two at the time, right? Mm-hmm, I and think so. then she's gone. And is that what was best for that little girl? I mean, like, it's concerning. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Lots of really concerning things throughout history and adoption practices. So... You see a lot in history where shame was used to silence birth moms or first moms. And I feel like you can also see that when we have adoptees talking about sharing their feelings or uh, feeling like they aren't allowed to share anything other than gratitude. Uh, They have this kind of pressure to have the lucky adoptee narrative. So this kind of societal mood to silence their voices or shame them into silence if they aren't fitting into that mold or if they have a divergent opinion. I feel like we've heard that quite a bit on the podcast as we've talked to people. Yeah. Another thing that stood out to me as I read this book, The Girls Who Went Away, uh, was the lack of accountability. So another quote from this book uh, said, the agreement was, this was a mother talking again, a first mother talking about her experience. The agreement was that they were going to give that piece of paper to my child It would become part of his file and on his 18th birthday, it would be made available to him. When people make promises to you and you don't have a way of verifying, it gives people a lot of latitude to do or not do what they've promised. And that was the part that really stood out to me, that if there's not any way to verify whether people are following through, hold people accountable, then yeah, who knows if they're going to actually follow through. And... So this lack of accountability during this era, during the orphan trains era, was a huge problem. And I think that's part of why this contrast between modern adoption that's generally more open and open adoption practices is so huge as we look at 
these older adoption practices. But unfortunately, there are still situations, and I hear this a lot still, Mm -hmm. where birth parents are told one thing, and then after papers are signed, after a month, things are different. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, that is totally unethical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So what can we do, right? What can we as adoptive parents do to shift these policies, these practices, so that this focus isn't on us as adoptive parents, but instead shift the focus toward adoptees, toward birth parents too, to create more ethical experiences and to make adoption really adoptee-centric? What can we do? Yeah, so first I think... We need to help how we can remove shame and secrecy from, that's huge. from the scenario. Yeah. And so part of that, I think, is openness, right? I think that includes open dialogue within your home where you talk about adoption. It's not a secret. It's not something weird or taboo to talk about. Your child feels like safe asking questions and sharing concerns or saying, hey, uh, do you think... I got this trait from my birth mom and no matter what adoption looks like in your family, there's this open dialogue where you talk about it, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, and hopefully you, if you're able to have that open adoption relationship where you have contact and relationship that can help even more with removing that shame and that secrecy. Yeah. So, and then again, I guess another idea would be really building on that is to just promote honesty and open communication. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'd say a third idea would be to listen to adoptee voices. And along with that, also birth parent voices. I think that's really important. Um, That's really one of our big goals here with the podcast to share and elevate adoptee voices and to help adoptees and birth parents share their stories and experiences no matter what they are. Yeah, and where we can, I think another idea would be to get involved in promoting adoptees' rights in legislation and in other ways to improve uh, the adoptee situation. So one thing that I think of is if you're working with an adoption agency, um, talking about some of their practices or policies and ask how that benefits the adoptee. Yeah, and if you find that an agency that you're talking with has policies and practices that are not adoptee-focused, let them know that that's not something you feel good about. And don't work with unethical agencies. Yeah. I. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> we get that that's hard. But it's really not worth it if you're trying to find a way to justify working with an agency that is really cutting corners or doing things that resemble child trafficking. There's really not going to be a great way to justify that when you're talking to your child yeah. about their story and this agency's practices as they grow older, right? Mm. Yeah, so I mean, go into your agency and have all of the questions that you ever have. Mm-hmm. And if they're like brushing some of your questions off or not answering them, don't work with them. Like, ultimately, you're their customer, right? And mm-hmm. and that's why adoptive parents are really at the top of the list when which we, yeah, that's why we're having this discussion, right? Because so the focus bad. is on adoptive parents. Because that's how these agencies are making money, and yeah, which so, is a whole other can of worms. And that's another. And I think that go, yeah, but, but I think that goes back to the point that it's on us uh, or on the adoptive parents to make sure that we're doing things that are adoptee focused. We're doing things that are very ethical, 
and that we're doing things that we wouldn't feel one bit of like worry sharing the details of our child's adoption with them yeah. um, in the future. Absolutely. Okay, so let's shift the focus. I just want to go over our four tips one more time really quick. Remove the shame and secrecy. Number two, promote honesty, open communication. Number three, listen to adoptee voices. And number four, get involved in promoting adoptee rights. Yep. All right. So that is our challenge to all of us, right? To really shift this focus and help make experiences better for adoptees in the future. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Open Adoption Project. Yeah, we're so grateful to be able to share a lot of content this month, um, November 2023, for National Adoption Month. Yeah, so we just would love to remind you to subscribe to our newsletter if you have not done that yet. You can go to openadoptionproject.org and click on newsletter and there's a a subscription form right there that you can fill out. Also connect with us on social media. We're on Instagram and on Facebook at Open Adoption Project. Yeah, thank you so much for being here and learning with us as we just keep talking and learning about all of these different nuances of adoption.